Are you captivated by the uncharted possibilities of maps? Intrigued by the transformative force of location intelligence? Welcome to Mapping the Conversations, where you become part of a movement that leverages geospatial technology to navigate the intricate dance between humanity and Earth. Together, we will dive into uncharted waters, chart new territories, and amplify the resounding impact of location intelligence in each conversation. I'm your host, Valerie Brett. So this morning with me, we have Sonia Bechart, and she is a passionate change agent, a facilitator, a social entrepreneur, and she's also a Shoka Fellow and the co-founder and co-pilot at We Robotics. Welcome, Sonia. Thanks, Valerie. Super happy to be here. So, Sonia, it's great to be talking with you today. Wanted to learn more about the work that you're doing. Could you share with us your professional background and the work that you do with We Robotics and the Flying Labs Network? Yeah, I'll try to keep it short. So my professional background is actually not in technology. I have a business and economics background, though most of my career I have worked in either startups or companies that had a very heavy technology focus. I have a lot of passion for technology in many ways too. So it was great to marry both, but my background definitely on the economics, business and entrepreneurship side. And our work with V-Robotics is around amplifying local expertise in Africa, Latin America, Asia, and Pacific, very specifically on drones, data, robotics, and AI for social good. So it's really about amplifying the voices of local experts and facilitating a network of local experts that is called the Flying Labs Network. Great. So what drew you to the field of geospatial technology and your work with drones and in particular, its application for social good? It's a funny story. So in one of my previous jobs about 15 years ago, I worked in conservation. So I set up conservation companies in Africa and Latin America, and we would always miss geospatial data. So geospatial data would have been a fantastic add-on to take good decisions you all know in the geospatial field is like just geospatial data, such a great base to integrate other data sources and out of budget constraints, you're always kind of not able to either get access to satellite data. A lot of times it's not available also for some of the areas of our work and it was just too expensive. So I would have loved to have access to geospatial data, but we didn't. So after that, I returned back to my home country of Switzerland and started working for a startup company, very small at that point. The company is called Pix4D. And it was at the very early days of civil drone use for mapping purposes. So when I was invited to go and see Pix4D and possibly work with them, I was fascinated by what a person can create their own geospatial data with the help of drones. And I said, oh my God, this would have saved so many of our issues in my previous endeavor. And I fell in love. I fell in love with drones. For the fact that it allows people like me or researchers or just about anyone, the very affordable cost to create their own geospatial data. From that on, that has been like a love story that just keeps on growing over the past 15 years. That's a great story, Sonia. Tell me, what is the core mission of Rebobotics and the Flying Lab Networks and how did it come to be? So the core mission of Rebobotics is to facilitate and co-create and in many ways, be the steward of the Flying Labs Network. 
So I can start with how it came to be. While working for Pixity, on the side with colleagues from a drone hardware company, we created an association to just show how these kind of tools can be actually used for social good. In very early days of drones, it was 2012, 2013. People, when they heard about drones, they mostly would think about military drones. Nobody yet knew about mapping drones and civil drones and even less about drones for good, I think, and how this technology can actually create good. So we created an association that was called Drone Adventures. And in our free time, in our vacation time, we would do projects. So out of my law for conservation, I was heading all the conservation projects. So I would go back to my old projects in Africa and Latin America and elsewhere, then bring drones to create the geospatial base map that we all so very much kind of crave for in our earlier work. And we did this with my colleagues of Drone Adventures for a good two years. And demand grew drastically on us. And we did this as a side hobby on our evenings and weekends and vacation. But each time we would do a project somewhere, we would also take one or two days and go meet with local schools, universities, polytechnics, and just have a demo on these kind of technologies. And we'd always meet so many interesting local experts and students. And in the end, it's just a tool. So it was really fascinating to see that there's so much interest locally for these kind of technologies. There's all the expertise that needs to be, but what is missing is the access to the technology and also the knowledge and how to use it and the opportunities to use it. Being the head of business development and marketing at Pixity, I knew firsthand that we as an organization, as a company, will not invest in the African market for at least 10 years. Because you, you can't. As a startup, you have your growth goals. So your growth goals possibly are going to focus on the northern part, Europe, North America, China. That's where you possibly would go for. But a bit like the mobile phone, these kind of technologies can leapfrog many ways innovations and applications in the global south that had access, again, from no geospatial data in many ways for communities on a grassroots level to creating your own geospatial data, which is actually pretty cool. So that's where the idea kind of started to say like, hmm, I think there is something there to be done. Everything is in place and you have the technology, you have in many ways the opportunities and you have the local experts, but nothing happens because these three different elements are not connected. And it doesn't need that much to connect them. And this is where the idea was born to actually create an organization that then connects and facilitates. And this is how the whole story with Real Body started. That's amazing. I did not know that story. <laughs> so it's great to hear that story. So what were some of those early challenges and how did you overcome them? I would say that the first challenge definitely was the fact that that space is very much dominated by international experts. And everybody said that this is impossible. The way you're envisioning that, it's not sustainable, this will not work, it's not possible. So I think to create something new in a very new way, it's always hard. People would just shrug it off. And this year, so we've been doing this for almost eight years now. And this year is actually for me the first year where I go to conferences and people don't say like, oh, you know, it's like, wow, you've been here for eight years. So people start taking you seriously after eight years. But I think a big struggle has been to do something in a very different way. You're swimming against the stream in many ways, because that was not what, you know, the stream is more like, yeah, this is a space for international experts and not a space for local experts. So that is a challenge that keeps on being a challenge, but it's something that gets easier with time because you have a track record in many ways. And then I think the other challenge is kind of related to that is 
you know, it's something new and we wanted to create the network in a very different way, in a bottom-up way. We deeply believe in co-creation. We believe in the bottom-up approach and not kind of the traditional top-down approach. But then there's no kind of blueprint for that. So you need to try And we decided to take small steps. So I worked for a lot of startups and that helped because to have approaches where you go, where you iterate and take smaller steps. I also have a background in human-centered design. So all of that kind of helped to have these methodologies, at least methodologies that can guide us on creating a blueprint. And in the beginning, we actually fought and we did a proof of concept for the first two years with three countries to see what are flying labs, you know, what would they do? How would they function? And we had so many ideas in the beginning and we were like convinced that we would, we robotics would set up flying labs. And very soon it proved completely wrong. In just the first two years in our proof of concept, 80% of what we imagined was completely wrong. I would say, you know, the challenge has been to create the blueprint, to create kind of the approach and the model for that. And it keeps on being a challenge because we just keep on evolving, but it's also an amazing journey because it's just a learning journey. What I see as possibly the third challenge that we are faced with our team is that we just constantly need to be curious and open-minded. We don't know what this should look like. We can learn and we can explore on the way, but we just need to be open-minded as we walk this journey that there's no right or wrong. It will be learning. Some things work, some don't. Sometimes for the team, that's the challenge. There's never an end to it. It's just a journey and you keep on discovering. At the same time, it's an amazingly interesting journey. That's great. So after eight years and a lot of lessons learned, could you share with us a couple of the projects that you're particularly proud of and their outcomes? That's a difficult one because there's so many of them. I think what I'm most proud of is actually the fact that all of these projects are locally led. And that might seem like something evident, but it's actually not. I think that today, if you look at the Flying Labs Network, I think in the past four years, Flying Lab has done over 120 projects, locally led projects, many of them very innovative and pushing the boundaries forward. And they're mostly locally financed. I think that's another thing I'm really proud about, you know, is really to say there's a market for that. It's not easy. We all agree on that. Again, it's about also changing mindsets on local experts on a local level. So it's not easy. But I think to have not 10 or 20 or 30, but 120 plus projects in some years and very diverse projects, I think that's what I'm super proud of. A recent one that I believe is amazing and it took a lot of learnings to get there is a learning project we are finalizing in Namibia. With Namibia Flying Labs and the civil aviation authorities in Namibia and together with an international partner also on finding new ways together as a learning consortium on how flying labs can help evolve local drone regulations. Policies and regulations are an important part of every flying lab's work. Our technology is very regulated, which is a good thing. However, a lot of time these regulations are not really taking into account the evolution of the space, the opportunities of the space, and also the local context, because it's not easy for regulators to find that. So to be able to have an open learning project between a flying lab, robotics, a civil aviation authority in a country, and an international expert in the space, I think that for me, I'm Proud of that project because of the way of how four very different organizations can collaborate and hopefully come up with something that actually makes sense. 
That's amazing. I can relate to that because something similar is about to happen with the Open Street Map, Jamaica Flying Labs, and the Civil Aviation Authorities also looking at some of the lessons from Nabimbia in that project as well. So tell me, Sonia, how has the network evolved and what impacts has it had on a global scale? So I think the network, you know, it evolves in two ways. So the one way it has evolved is in size. So it's quite amazing to see that we were going to finish the year with 42 countries in the network, which is quite a proud number to look at because it has a constant growth. The network grows about five to eight flying labs per year. So it's a nice constant growth from four flying labs in 2018 to 42 by the end of 2023. That's a nice growth rate. But I think I'm actually more interested in the growth in strength. So flying labs are growing in strength. They're growing in sustainability. It's a long journey. It's not something that happens easily again. But we find ways on how we can support flying labs in their strength growth, in their sustainability growth. That would be the fact that I'm actually even more proud of, I think, than the size growth. And then it's heavily evolving in terms of collaboration. That for me is the interesting part. You know, when you're 10 or 15 flying laps in the beginning, it's an interesting kind of group and it has different expertises. But now with 40, it's super interesting to see how one flying lab will inspire another on new applications in exchange of expertise and how one flying lab can do something they could possibly not have imagined to do with the help of another flying lab because another flying lab can come in support them, collaborate with them, be their project partner. I can give you an example. And quite a new flying lab is Bhutan Flying Lab that joined just under a year and a half ago. And they have been needing an amazing training together with the World Bank for the government officials on drones for disaster response. I think a six-week training for, I don't know, I think 50-plus government officials. And they could have never done that as a kind of a new flying lab without the help of Nepal Flying Lab, who has done that before. But together, they can offer these kind of services. Alone, they couldn't, but together they can. And I think that's the strength of the Flying Labs Network. And that's also the evolution forward. We want to more and more build on each other's experiences to be able to offer a much wider service in each country by tapping into the collective kind of expertise of the network. I like that. Together they can, alone they couldn't. So collaborate to innovate. How do you perceive the role of technology in driving positive societal change? Interesting question. For me, I love technology. However, technology will always just be a tool, something that allows to create additional solutions. However, what I've been learning with the work that Flying Labs have been doing over the past years is technology, and especially drone technology, there's a very engaging technology, also can have an amazing role as a vehicle to community engagement and to conversations. Sometimes you need a conversation starter. For example, how can this data be used best? So Drones are an amazing tool to start conversations on so many levels for youth. You know, look at STEM, like drones are an amazing way to just engage in STEM discussions. In communities, we see drones and drone mapping is a very engaging way of talking about data and data-driven decision-making. So I think technology by itself, again, is a tool that can contribute to solutions, But it can also be used as a vehicle for conversations and to bring very different communities together and start conversations together. And I think we're very lucky the technology we work with is a very engaging and positive technology for that. 
I like that. To add to that, though, I want to ask, where do you see the biggest potential for technology, whether it's a conversation piece or otherwise, in creating more sustainable and resilient communities in the future? Good question. I think, like you said, a conversation piece, definitely. But I think technology is never the solution, but again, it can add to a solution. So I think technology really can bring in missing pieces that allow to take better decisions and to help find better solutions for more resilient communities. And that's where our work lies is it's less about the technology, it's more about who gets to use them. And how are they used and how are they integrated in communities? I think there needs to be, first and foremost, the interest from the community for the technologies and also their need for technologies that we can see technologies could actually add a value to our solutions or not. I think, again, technologies are personally a great way to start conversations and then sometimes might be the solution and sometimes might not be. Great. So you're a social entrepreneur. Tell me, what's your take on the role of innovation and entrepreneurship in tackling global challenges? Good question again. So I think social entrepreneurship and technology in many ways, I take them apart, but we can't possibly marry them together later on. So for me, I deeply believe in entrepreneurship. I think everyone has expertises, different kind of expertises on this planet. So I deeply believe in entrepreneurship of being a way to sustainability and ways forward. Looking at technologies and the role they can have, they can help to open new market. Again, you know, if you look at drone technologies can actually be new markets and new jobs can be created through that. So technologies have the opportunity to create more enterprises. And in many ways, you know, sometimes when we talk about entrepreneurship and drones, it can take so many different forms. You know, it can be a drone operator. You can be someone who does maintenance with drones, a hardware and software reseller. There's many different ways and not just the drones. There's a whole kind of economy that can come out of it from the data side also. So there's these different kind of pieces to it. And there is potential, I think, in these new technologies to really create local markets and allow then social entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to take on these markets. Okay, nice. Could you provide us with some specific examples where you've seen geospatial technology had a significant impact in communities that you've worked in or through the Flying Labs network? Yeah, I, I definitely can. And it brings me back to my fascination and passion with drones. I think geospatial data today is not really accessible for a lot of communities in the grassroots. Satellite data is not handily available. If it is, a lot of time, it's also, it misses a connection. I think for a grassroots organization or for a community on a local level, to be able to trust the data, to be able to understand the data, I think satellite data a lot of time will actually miss that connection. And that's where drones can play an important role because it allows to create the data together with the communities together on a grassroots level to be part of that whole kind of data acquisition journey to then have a relationship with the data and to be able to use this data to make better decisions. For example, about land planning, when a community or a region has a need to replan land because of climate issues, land might be not used anymore or not usable anymore for farming practices. The county needs to find new ways of restructuring the community. 
Working without geospatial data might be something that is quite challenging. Working with a satellite image might not be the best way either because community members will possibly not have a relationship with that. So using geospatial data as the concern and the conversation piece and create the data together with the communities to then sit and look at the data and decide together what would be the best plan for it. I think geospatial data has an amazing potential to help with creating better outcomes of decisions that can be done together with the, not only the decision makers, but actually the people who are going to be influenced by the decisions taken by decision makers. And that is, for me, the beauty of drone mapping in many ways is to allow communities to create their own data and be able then to use that. In that context, are there any personal stories from communities or from individuals that have really just stayed with you? Really, really good question. Yes. So there has been a project quite a while ago that we did in Tanzania for farmers, for smallholder farmers. What was fascinating? So I've lived in Tanzania before. It's a country I know well that this is possibly been the remotest ever I've been in Tanzania. And these smallholder farmers, like many smallholder farmers, possibly will not have access to smartphones. Many of them will not even be literate in terms of written literacy. However, they're experts in farming because that's what they and their families have done for a long while. So you could imagine that, you know, we come with drones and maps and they would possibly be overwhelmed, but they're not. So what was really fascinating for me to see is once you explain what you're trying to do and you require data and then you show them the data that you have acquired and the maps that come out of it, the level of questions that came, you know, could we do this? Could we know this out of this data? No, we couldn't. Would this data be available to help us with this decision? Yes, it would. So you would think, okay, there has been smallholder farmers for generations. You know, they didn't have any, any formal training on GIS and data. And it took them possibly half an hour to understand what this is about. And that showed me the amazing value that this can have at different levels. And you have a geospatial background. You'll just be able to possibly then make your own insights, but it doesn't need to be. And just about anyone can really take advantage and see value in these types of technologies and data. I love that. Geospatial for everyone. Sonia, I'm really enjoying our conversation. But before we continue, let's pause for a message from one of our sponsors. This episode of Mapping the Conversations is proudly sponsored by Jamaica Flying Labs. Dive into the dynamic world of drone and robotics technology with Jamaica Flying Labs as they work to develop and transform various sectors. Jamaica Flying Labs understands that it's not just about soaring to new heights, it's about creating meaningful change right here on the ground. Welcome back. We're in conversation with Sonia Bechert co-founder and co-pilot at We Robotics, and we've been talking about her work with the Global Flying Labs Network. Let's turn a little bit to advocacy and outreach. What strategies do you employ in advocating for technology as a force for good? In many ways, it's a difficult question, you know, to say like, how can you best do advocacy? And I think we try to answer that on different levels. Our best advocates are, I think, the Flying Labs and the many members of the Flying Labs just on their level because they will be the local advocates on so many different levels, on a government level, on a level with local communities. On a local level, the best advocates are the people in place, I think. What we've seen is, sadly enough, a lot of time local experts are not taken seriously, especially when it comes to emerging technologies. So what we have been investing in for the past two years in terms of advocacy is storytelling. 
I think storytelling has a power to change mindsets on A, local experts, and B, how these kind of technologies really can create a big difference. So we have set a big focus at V-Robotics on creating a storytelling team. We have a visual storyteller who creates engaging videos. We have now a written storyteller who helps Flying Labs with crafting strong stories about their work. Because I think that for advocacy, what will always speak for itself is, is the actual work and the outcomes and the impact the work creates. And it's a difficult one because, again, the Flying Labs members to a large degree are technical experts. And storytelling might not be one of their strengths because what they're fascinated about is their work and the outcomes of their work. And so they will do a lot of work, but possibly not talk as much about their work. To the contrary, where other people talk a lot about it, but possibly don't do it as much. So where we're trying to invest on our side is really supporting Flying Labs in the storytelling piece, because I think many of them have such amazing stories to tell about their work and the impact of technology in their countries and in the local communities. And finding great formats of telling it through videos, through food stories, and we'll start a podcast series next year, because I think podcasts are a great way to tell stories also, to just allow Flying Labs a better platform to tell their stories. In each of the questions, you talk about the power of local, and you always go back to the Flying Labs. It's clear to me that partnerships and collaborations are important to you. Can you talk about the importance of forming those partnerships and collaborations? It is. It's absolutely like partnership and collaboration is at the base of everything we do. So in addition to our partnerships, you know, in many ways with Flying Labs, we are also building an ecosystem of the global partners, technology companies, of software companies, hardware companies in the drone space and GIS space, also organizational partnerships. Again, it brings me back to what I said in the beginning. It's, I think everything is there in many ways, even on a local level. In terms of local partnerships, what a lot of time is missing is the connections between that and the facilitation. And a lot of times, nobody wants to invest in that. And we do and Flying Labs do on a local level too, by creating local ecosystems. And I think through partnerships, we will all get stronger together. I always deeply believed in sharing, but then I also get that sharing is not something that comes natural, especially If you finally get access to some good technologies and opportunities, you're possibly not that keen to share those in your country. However, I always believe that if you share, you actually multiply. And that while there's many organizations out there that do similar things, if you would collaborate and share more, we actually would tap into more possibilities and not less together. And this is what I have seen the Flying Labs work. And the work we do with our partners, Flying Labs, if they're work with partners on a local level, the more we open up to sharing and collaboration, the more access you get actually to more opportunities together. It's kind of counter-logical, you know, you'd think I have a cake, I cut it in 12, I get only a 12th piece of it instead of the whole cake. But in action, actually, this is not true. Because also, you know, let's face it, are in the tech for good world, there's so much need and there are so many challenges that need to be addressed. So it's not like this part really is missing. You know, there's really a huge abundance of issues and challenges. So there also can be an abundance of solutions. And I think none of us has the answer. However, together, we have the answers. So speaking of abundance of solutions, what do you see as the future direction for the Flying Lab Network? Good point too. I think for us, one of the key areas is definitely sustainability. 
to keep on pushing the sustainability. But a strategy we are going to move forward in the coming months is also to find new ways on collaboration on sector topics. Let's take, for example, disaster. So there's already a lot of expertise within the network on using drones for disaster management and disaster risk management between just the flying labs. However, there's also a wealth of external organization and partners that could become part of it. So we are looking at creating kind of bigger ways of collaborating on sector expertises, not just within the network, but by bringing in external partners, by adding on experiences from other organizations and creating this kind of consortium together, again, to just open up to more partnership and becoming stronger together. Thanks, Sonia. So how can our listeners contribute or engage with these tech-driven initiatives? I think in many ways, go to our website. We're going to have a new website up in some weeks that will allow to engage on different levels. Also, I think, again, many listeners might have a special expertise or they might be interested in collaborating with a flying labs in their country. There might not be a flying labs in their country and they might want to say, wow, actually, flying lab would be fantastic in our country. How can I engage? Or if it's someone who is in a company that provides solutions, All of that really is important to us. So there's different ways to engage, become part of the ecosystem and the ecosystem partners, become part of the Flying Labs network, either by partnering with an existing Flying Lab or creating one in a country where there isn't one, or just by supporting us in different ways with expertises and different ways. So I think there's so many ways to engage with us. Please go to our website, go to the Flying Labs website also to see the amazing work of the Flying Labs Network and then hopefully become infected with the same passion that we all share and get excited to get involved. Yes. So Sonia, reflecting on your journey, what have been your biggest learnings? My biggest learning has been that, again, it's our mantra. Alone, we go fast. Together, we go far. In the past, I have been someone who loved to go fast, and I've learned through that journey with Flying Labs that going fast is possibly not the goal. It's something where our kind of geographies push ourselves to, you know, fast is important, but we're not going to go very far. So what advice would you give to aspiring technologists or entrepreneurs who want to make a difference? The one advice I believe has helped me in the past is to never lose focus of the value. Do not really focus on the technology, but possibly on the value it can create. Because a lot of times you get very fascinated by technology, and I'm the first one who gets fascinated by technology, but to really think about the value it can create and who it can create value for. What are your hopes and visions for the future of technology in good over the next decade or so? My hope is that technologies become more and more available, again, on a grassroots level, and that the grassroots level not only gets to use technology, but actually inform how technology is created. I think a lot of technology today is created in the North. I sit in Europe, in Switzerland, where technology gets created and then kind of exported to other countries. It might not always fit the needs of other geographies and of other users. So my big hope is that in the future, when we look at technologies, that they get more responsible and sustainable in a way that they're also created with the outlook of who gets to use them. I was at an interesting talk yesterday, and I was just reminded that 
if you look at who's going to be the future users of technology, possibly they're not going to be in the north. Most of them are going to sit in the south. And that we're more and more listening to grassroots levels, to local levels in designing technologies. That's amazing. What are the key messages that you would like to leave our listeners with today, Sonia? Key message for me will always be, let's together think about the power of local. That's our tagline, the power of local expertise. Where does the expertise, the highest expertise lie? For me, it's at the grassroots and at the local and community level. And for us, whatever kind of mission we have or whatever kind of organization we work in, that we never forget that, A, it's not about the technology, it's about who gets to use them, and by the who to really say, uh, the highest expertise will lie at the grassroots level. And how can we empower and make certain that this level is represented in all parts of the journey? Thank you so much, Sonia, for being here with us today and sharing with us about the V Robotics and the Flying Labs Network and the power of local and just how important collaboration is. It has been really fascinating speaking with you. So thank you for making the time to talk to us on Mapping the Conversations. Thanks, Valerie. That's been a, a really fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for listening to Mapping the Conversations. Join us for the next episode as we build and propel this movement forward.